2: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com
3: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline and Caroline, I feel like this is a long overdue topic. Oh, for sure. Menstrual cups. I can't
0: believe we haven't done it yet.
3: I mean, we've, we've made some stuff mom never told you videos. We've certainly mentioned menstrual cups. We've gotten a lot of letters about menstrual cups. And we've posted a lot about menstrual cups on the stuff mom never told you social media. And they always generate so much conversation. Oh
0: yeah. Because the people who use menstrual cups tend to be converts, like permanent forever converts who love menstrual cups and want to preach the good word about them. And
3: it's similar to me as IUD converts, (laughs) where if it works for you, it's amazing. Also like IUDs for Every loyalist, there is someone with a horror story
0: (laughs) that can leave people who haven't tried either uh, nervous. Exactly. And I saw a conversation on the Internet last night that illustrated this point perfectly. So one of the articles that we were reading had obviously a comment section under it. And one particular woman was taking issue with using menstrual cups and saying that, you know, Y'all are all crazy. They don't live up to the hype. They're not as great. And much like IUDs, she said, they're not very safe. And someone else got on there to comment and said, actually, IUDs are very safe. And then that woman came back on and said, um, you know, I was uncontrollably bleeding from mine, but thanks for telling me what my body does or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I think that that's kind of an excellent, unfortunate, but kind of an excellent illustration of a lot of the conversations that happen around both IUDs and menstrual cups. This one happened to (laughs) encapsulate both of them. And, of
3: course, the moral of both of those stories, whether we're talking about birth control or period products, is the need for us to accept that every individual body is different.
0: Yeah, and everybody has preferences. I mean, yeah, yeah.
3: And some people are going to love tampons forever more than they're ever going to love menstrual cups and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to talk, though, about menstrual cups because they've been getting so much press lately, and yet they've been around for almost as long. We're talking like only separated by months as long as tampons. Yeah, I had no idea.
0: But... We are only now hearing about them in the mainstream. Well, because of the context of period pride, which we have, you know, we did in a previous episode. I recommend you go listen to it if, if you're uh, interested in learning more. Um, but a lot of people are finally talking about their periods and and menstruation and trying to remove the stigma. And so I think that menstrual cups have sort of come out of the closet, so to speak, as a result.
3: Absolutely. And sales numbers are pointing to that. Uh, Racked magazine reported that one of the industry leaders, Diva Cup, which you can find in a lot of drugstores and uh, even places like Target, They have reported double-digit sales in the U.S. and Canada for the past 12 years. And I'm really curious to hear from Canadian listeners about menstrual cup use because they seem to be way more common, A, in Canadian drugstores, grocery stores, etc. And also Canadians just use them more often. There seems to be less of a squick factor happening, is it because Diva Cups are from Canada? Are people just more used to them? That's why I'm asking our Canadian listeners. I'm not sure. I have, there, there's no uh, qualitative study on the Canadian menstrual cup adoption culture, but <laughs> if, if any Canadians listening have uh, some insight, definitely let us know because there are American menstrual cup companies, but that certainly hasn't penetrated our market as thoroughly as Diva Cup has in Canada. Um, But we are starting to see that a growing desire for more available menstrual cup options are definitely out there, even for women who have never tried them. For instance, uh, the Kickstarter a couple years ago for a collapsible Lily Cup made by the Swedish company Intima exceeded its Kickstart goal by 4,000%. They raised more than $325,000 in 40 days from over 8,500 backers, a number of whom told uh,
0: Intima that they'd never use menstrual cups. And it's got a fancy design. They do look quite sleek. I like the look of it. Like, I might even want one just on my desk.
1: Alright, I'd love
0: that. I, I don't, I don't get a period, but, you know. You could use it as a little snack container. <laughs> Put some peanuts in it. Uh huh.
3: <laughs> well, so which lily cup are you talking about though? Cause the Kickstarter was for the collapsible one.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I'm thinking of the one that's not collapsible and it looks like uh, not that I remember necessarily what the castle from Never Ending Story looks like, but that's what I imagine it is, a giant lily cup. And actually, when I saw a picture of the collapsible one, I had to do almost a spit take <laughs> because in my stocking for Christmas one year, my mother gave me a little <laughs> collapsible funnel, you know, that you can use in the kitchen, you can make cocktails with it, you can do whatever. Um, and I was like, oh, my god. <laughs> my my bar funnel looks exactly exactly like the collapsible lily cup well if you're ever in a pinch you know yeah if I yeah I know except it's it's open at the end oh. <laughs> am I gonna defeat the purpose <laughs> but I did have a moment of like I literally for a moment a split second just took a, a second to be like oh uh do I have a, a menstrual cup in my bar no okay we're good <laughs> I, I gotta say to you the uh, marketing
3: potential of likening a lily cup to the never ending story castle is just pure delight because the the idea of inserting uh, the never ending castle into your vagina to help you out through your
0: period, that seems fun. <laughs> yeah, because I mean your period can feel like a never ending story. Boom. <laughs> See, it's perfect. It's I know, perfect. I know. Um what
3: is not perfect though? was the Kickstarter for a product called Loon Cup that has not come onto the market yet. And I don't think it ever will come onto the market. Uh, even though it went viral, it generated a ton of attention. Kickstarter selected it as one of its top projects for uh that period when it was on period. Ha. Huh. And OBGYN Extraordinaire Dr. Jen Gunter. Who you must follow on Twitter. Absolutely follow her. She's terrific. Uh, She describes the Loon Cup as, quote, an answer to a question no one is asking or needs to ask. So before we go any further, let's explain what the Loon Cup allegedly does.
0: Yeah, so it is a menstrual cup that has in it a small battery and a Bluetooth antenna. And this is intended to, much like a Fitbit or something along those lines, let you track facts and stats about your period. And at first thought, it's like, oh, wait, no, this could be valuable. Like, I need this health information. I assure you, you don't. Because one of the factors is the color of the menstrual blood. So it tracks the color, it tracks the amount of menstrual blood, it tracks how many clots you're getting, if any. Um And this is all information that Dr. Gunter was saying, like, you as a human can use your human senses to detect if your flow is heavy. Um And rarely is your doctor, unless your period is uh, unusually heavy or unusually light, maybe your period has stopped altogether, Rarely is your doctor going to ask you for this information. You don't need to know this information. It's like it's too much info that could potentially send you into a tailspin of anxiety if something looks weird because you're tracking it.
3: Yeah, I mean, the the only practical use of Loon Cup is the fact that it will uh, sense and then text you if it's starting to fill up and you need to change it. But again, that's part of just
0: good menstrual health habits? Um, wh- What I do love, so Loon Cup, in case you have no idea what we're talking about, is spelled L-O-O-N Cup. And I get it. It's kind of, you know, the play on Luna, Lunar, Moon. I get it. However, I can't help but, like, think of, like, a loony, loony person. A hey, loony, like, loon is a bird, right? The loon? Yes. Okay, cool. So the loon... I think of the bird, but then I also think of loony. And that makes me think of hysterical, hysterical women using a loon cup. And that's, that's. I'm
3: following you 100%. That's, that's all I
0: got. We're at the end now. Because it is kind of loony considering
3: how uh, the very design uh, uh, is something that Dr. Gunter gave a massive WTF to because the Bluetooth antenna sticks out just slightly from your vagina. So you you're going to be walking around with a little thing poking poking out of your vagina which that sounds so uncomfortable. Yeah, say bye to bike riding. You also have a battery in in that you're going to be inserting into your vagina too which that's not necessarily going to pose an immediate health risk but it's like what well, yeah, well, maybe this might be too much. <laughs> yeah. Um but I wonder if its virality is just sort of a byproduct of our Silicon Valley culture of like, oh, yes, we need technology to fix periods. Yes, that's what we need.
0: Yeah, we need to answer every potential problem with an app. Yes. Yeah. But you know what? Uh
3: Ladies, people, anyone who has a period, you don't need uh, you don't need any batteries in your vagina to monitor your <laughs> period successfully. AI. Not in a menstrual cup anyway. Exactly. Um, so back to menstrual cups, though aside from the ones that are doing way too many things that we really don't need and, like you said, ruining bike riding, they have been a real dark horse contender in the feminine hygiene market, much like political third parties in the United States. Because you have, right now, our two-party system in the U.S., with the Republicans and the Democrats, aka the maxi pads and the tampons. I'm not assigning any, any political party necessarily to one of the products, although I will say that Republicans are a little more maxi pad. And here in the, in the, in the background, you have like a third party, a menstrual cup where a lot of us are like, I know that you've got like really good ideas, but I don't know if they're too radical to really put my vote all in for you. You like this analogy? <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm I'm not implying that Hillary Clinton is in any way, shape, or form like a tampon. Just FYI. Good. Yeah. I'm I just want to put that out there. That'll <laughs> totally prevent the letters. <laughs> yes. uh, um. Subject line. <laughs> I'm with tampon. <laughs> and really from the get go of commercially available menstrual cups. The manufacturers have known that they're a long shot, largely by virtue of us having to come in such close contact, i.e. putting our fingers in our vaginas, and not only our close contact with our vaginas, but our vaginas during menstruation. And, of course, our whole menstrual culture, which some refer to as a culture of concealment, is all about keeping ourselves as kind of distanced from the mess Of periods as possible. And in 2004, the New York Times actually did a trend piece on menstrual cups, quoting Harry Finley, who I'd really love to interview sometime, because he's the founder of the Museum of Menstruation and Women's Health, mum.org, which you should absolutely check out if you haven't. And Finley said, quote, It'll never become mainstream in America. It involves too much contact with the body, and I think most women are squeamish about that. I think most people
0: in general are squeamish about that. Oh, yeah. Just even the concept squicks us out. Oh, yeah. Well, so, I mean, for people who aren't familiar, though, with what using a menstrual cup entails, let's give you a bit of a rundown. So, first of all, the cup itself... (laughs) <laughs> Looks basically like a stemless wine glass, uh, shrunk down to actually fit inside your vaginal canal. You're Thank not- God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that we can technically push babies out through those vaginal canals, but. Let's not go sticking wine.
3: Glasses yeah, putting out there. a stemless wine glass up once a month. Do you
0: have like a like a a white wine uh, glass I can? You know, honestly, I'm more of a beer Stein kind of gal. <laughs> I've got a real heavy flow. Heavy flow. Um. And according to Cleveland Clinic, if you do have a latex sensitivity, just, just opt for the silicone, um, menstrual cup. And it's inserted into your vaginal canal, or if you're using a soft cup, menstrual cup, it's up around the cervix. And you do it by, like, folding it over. Like, imagine the Liberty Bell turned upside down, and you're folding the Liberty Bell, and just sticking it up in there.
3: Yeah, for disposable soft cups, which I have used, they're almost like Livestrong wristbands. They have that, you know, that plasticky, mm-hmm. um, flexible texture with a plastic, you know, catch, catcher. <laughs> what would that be cup? called? Cup. Cup. Thank you. <laughs> the plastic cup, a catcher. I know my words, <laughs> but you, because the, the Livestrong band <laughs> for a very small wrist is flexible. You just, Sort of squeeze it in the middle, making kind of a a figure eight with it, and it just goes right up.
0: Yeah, I mean your your cervix gets to wear a little rubber band that shows what cause it's supporting. Right. (laughs) Depending on the color. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can keep them in up to 12 hours. I mean, depending on your flow, obviously, and, uh, you can sterilize them in boiling water after each cycle. Um, you can also use like baby bottle sterilization bags. I mean, you should rinse them out every time you take them out, but between cycles, you have a couple different options for sterilization. And I just like the idea of a baby bottle sterilization bag that you pop in the microwave for your menstrual cup. Yeah. I don't know why I like that idea. Um I just didn't know that that existed. So I'm like learning about all of these accessories <laughs> that are related to things in and around my vagina. And
3: reusable menstrual cups like the Diva costs between 20 and 40 bucks. And in addition to the Diva, legacy brands include the Keeper instead and Lunette, which apparently is a, a menstrual cup fave. Their tagline is also one of my faves. Uh, it's, Grandma didn't use tampons, so your granddaughter won't either. Mm. But by now, there are actually a couple dozen brands of menstrual cups out there to choose from. If you are curious about which type is right for you, because they do come in different shapes and sizes, because we all do have different vaginal canals and cervix situations going on, I highly recommend going to... Yes, the Menstrual Cup Live Journal, which is still going, and it is so thorough. So you can find whatever kind of product review you want. And speaking of how all of our vaginal canals are different, they aren't going to be for everybody. You w- might want to double check with your gyno if you do have an IUD.
0: Oh, yeah. Is there any sort of problem with, like, suction? Would that be an there's issue? Not,
3: there's not necessarily a risk of it being pulled out, but possibly... uh with the strings Uh, it being maybe
1: moved a little
3: bit jostled. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also if you have uterine fibroids, um, and or dropped uterus, definitely talk to your gynecologist. Who's probably going to tell you that they're not going to be the best option. And that's okay. That's the thing. It's totally okay. If menstrual cups, Are not for you. Yeah. We don't want to pressure you. No. We're just giving
0: you the info. There's
3: enough, (laughs) there's enough pressure on social media (laughs) for you to use menstrual cups. And by the way, I've recommended them, you know, to other people, but you know, it's like the IUD. It's like some, they're going to be for some people. They're going to be not for some people. Yeah. I know, but far more fascinating than the menstrual cup 411 is the history of how these products were developed
0: I was honestly very surprised and and I don't know what this says about me but I was very surprised that um, menstrual cups were developed as early as they were. I kind of thought that they would have started around the 50s and 60s and 70s when you started getting like women's lib and and let's get in touch with our bodies ourselves kind of stuff
3: Well they definitely have a resurgence. Um, around that time, and they are very much associated with uh, feminists. But it goes all the way back to 1867, and a guy named S. Hockert who patented a catamenial sack. Which, y'all, this thing—it's—it is—it's <laughs> obviously invented by a dude. I'll just say that I don't think anyone with a menstruating vagina. <laughs> Whatever, think that this would work. So w- what this 1867 sack was, was a belt, an actual belt that you would wear around your waist and hanging from that belt is the catamenial sack, which looks in the drawing <laughs> like a an empty condom. Yeah. And you then insert that empty condom
0: into your vagina. (sighs) Sigh. So, yeah, it actually it, it absolutely does look like some sort of condom being dangled on some sort of thread or rope or something that you like you do stick up your vaginal canal, and there's this illustration by Menstruation Museum uh curator Harry Finley showing that the, in his illustration, it almost looks like a metal arm, but that can't be accurate, right, Harry? Um Some sort of thread that you stick the whole entire sack up your vaginal canal, and so this, like, menstrual condom, like, just hangs out under your cervix which honestly it's not that terribly different design wise than but it's like, a disposable menstrual cup but imagine but. how uncomfortable when you have something you're wearing the belt and the the arm whatever whether it's a thread oh
3: i'm not saying it's a good idea <laughs> oh no
0: but like just imagine that, that it's like dangling from your waist all the way up to your cervix i mean it does kind of look like a chastity belt yeah sorts. who would want to get into it <laughs>
3: Oh, S. <laughs> Hawker, he's just rolling over in his grave right now. So misunderstood. Um, There was one thing, though, that Natalie Scher noted in uh, a piece about menstrual cups in Pacific Standard magazine, that menstrual technology did really begin taking off around this time in the 19th century as women's lifestyles became more active. <laughs> we want to move around maybe when we're on our periods And she notes how a third of the patents for all of these earliest menstrual products were filed by women, which is a vast proportion compared to the 2% of all women registered patents at the time. So it does make me want to come back and do another episode just looking at menstrual technology.
0: Yes, you know, and lady inventors. Although, I mean, that's like a massive category, but I mean, maybe, I don't know. Theme week. (laughs) Theme week. Um, All right. And now let's look at the timeline. Speaking of menstrual technology, let's look at the timeline because it's, all pretty rapid. In 1921, Kotex disposable pads hit the market. In 1936, tampons first go on sale. And then, just a year later, in 1937, we get actress and dancer-turned-menstrual inventor Leona Chalmers, who patents the first usable commercial menstrual cup.
3: Yeah, a- around that same time, Dainty Made Inc. also introduced the Daintet. Menstrual cup that came with this vaginal powder that I think was supposed to address menstrual odor. There was a lot of odor panic. There's still a lot of odor panic in feminine hygiene marketing, but it was really front and center of all of this, uh, Menstrual development at the time. But we got to talk more about Leona Chalmers because, I mean, it's pretty cool that our menstrual cups today on the market trace back to this rather enterprising woman Mm -hmm. who had a lot of ideas, really loved douching, (sighs) and she really wanted to make menstrual cups happen. And she imagined her menstrual cup, which would become the Tasset, being made of vulcanized rubber. Only problem with that is mm, kind of heavy <laughs> to carry around in your vagina all day and poor timing because when World War II rolls around, all available rubber has to go to the war effort. But then when she's finally able to start making these things, she gets off on the wrong foot marketing wise because Leona, a woman of the stage, takes out advertising not in places like Ladies Home Journal, but rather in showbiz magazines,
0: like Variety. So, like, actresses and other dancers can buy them? Which would make sense, yeah, because that was
3: part of her inspiration, was having a heavy flow and also being a dancer, and those two things do not go well together at all, which I can anecdotally confirm as a teenage ballet dancer... Who learned the hard way not to wear her pink tights during period weeks. Oh, yeah. I also wasn't using, uh, TMI alert listeners. I also wasn't using, uh, tampons for a while. And, oh yeah,
0: I didn't use, yeah, me too.
3: And the chore of first trying to conceal a maxi pad in <laughs> a leotard
0: oh, and then
3: during stretches, praying that you don't hear a, you know, yeah. the, the rustle of the maxi pad. <laughs> oh, it, we've, it can be been, rough. we've all been there. Yeah, it can be rough. Um, but one, one way that she also marketed her sets was through a book. She wrote two books, but the, the main one is the intimate side of a woman's life.
0: Yes. And the cover is so racy. Yes. And it's of her. It's this. Oh, okay. I thought so. Yeah. yeah.
3: So it's a photo of obviously younger Leona. Undressed, but with a, a towel covering up her, her nipples. So you just see her, her bare, you see some side boobs. You see a little side boob too. Yeah. Yeah. Leona, Leona was, I mean, pretty open for the day. Um, the book though, The Intimate Side of a Woman's Life didn't only address menstrual cups. She kind of tried to like sneak it in there, you know, like, Oh, I've got so much information. Also, P.S. You should use my menstrual cup. You can write me and I'll send you some, but the the book had a warning on it that it was for mature women only. (laughs) Probably because it talked about douching so much.
0: Well, she was obsessed with it. And she talks about even, like, the right position to get in to use the douche. Oh, did you you see any of the drawings of her douche positions?
3: It looks like a one-person Kama Sutra book. (laughs) Because I had no idea... Because uh, as we have talked about on the podcast before, douching is not good for your vagina. So bad. Down with a douche. But I didn't realize un- until reading The Intimate Side of a Woman's Life <laughs> that you sometimes have to contort yourself to uh, most effectively douche. Uh, although effectively is um, not exactly the right word because it's not effective because it ruins your vaginal pH. But uh, one quote from her book says the old saying position is everything in life. Might as well be applied to the douche for it is the position assumed in performing this act that brings about such excellent results. <laughs> and really, the excellent result that she hammers home over and over again is no vaginal discharge. whatsoever. Yes,
0: I know. Leona I know. does not like
3: cervical fluid.
0: And listeners, if you caught our episode on period tracker technology, you know all about the importance of cervical fluid. Poor Leanna. I mean, she was trying to do her best. She really was. I mean, she believed in this product, because even when
3: it totally bombed circa World War II, she tries again in 1958.
0: Yeah, she successfully pitched her menstrual cup to businessman Robert Oreck, to which I ask... The vacuum guy? (laughs) I don't know that it's the
3: vacuum guy. (laughs) I don't think it is. It could be, though, because Oreck put out an ad in the Wall Street Journal saying that he wanted to buy some patents and develop some businesses. So Chalmers sees his ad and contacts him. And she's like, hey, I've, I've got this swell patent for a menstrual cup. And he is initially flabbergasted at the thought of working with something so intimate, as he called it. But he gives a Tasset to his wife. She tries it, loves it. So possibly Mr. Vacuum Cleaner. No, it turns out I just Googled. Oh, it's not Mr. Vacuum Cleaner. No, that was a David Oreck. Oh, okay. Okay. Could be brothers. We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) Uh, So Mr. Oreck
0: decides to invest in Tasset. And he even... Gets a Times Square billboard. Of course, it's, it's, you know, delicate in its phrasing and, and its imagery. Uh, the, the copy is basically tassette, not a tampon, not a napkin. And then there's a picture of a tulip. Right. And, and Oric says that he chose
3: the tulip logo because, quote, women's psychological reaction to the symbol has proved to be quick, complete, and very positive. <laughs> I mean, I like a tulip.
0: I love tulips. I mean, you know. Uh, (laughs) I love tulips. Whether we're sticking wine glasses or tulips up our hoo-hahs. I love it. It's effective. Um, and then in 1968, Tasset's Barbara Waldron patents a disposable menstrual cup and basically tries to make this thing called Tassaways happen. They change, you know, Tasset, Tassaway makes sense. We're definitely like in full throw of our um, consumer and disposable culture at this point. They didn't take off. And the company ends up folding in 1973. But the thing is, that kind of left all of these dedicated menstrual cup users in the lurch. Uh Menstrual historian Kelly O'Donnell said that thousands of women ended up writing in to the company in distress. They were like, oh, my God. I mean, it's bad enough when, like, you know, the cosmetics company retires your favorite foundation or whatever. Like, imagine if they retire your favorite menstrual cup. It's like the Seinfeld episode where Elaine is buying <gasps> up all the sponges. Yes,
3: So right around when the company is folding, Women's Liberation is really hitting full steam. And there is a DIY 1970s feminist self-help book circulating that recommends repurposing old diaphragms as proto-menstrual cups. And apparently this has been going on for a while, reusing uh, cervical caps and diaphragms as your, your period product rather than going out and buying tampons and pads. Or using an
0: old Ziploc bag. I know, it's way better than that. <laughs> Doing the the Hockert method, <laughs> getting your belt, <laughs> some dental floss in a, in a sandwich bag. That's oh, so horrifying. Um, and, then, and then in 1987, Lou Crawford introduces The Keeper. I, I guess because it keeps yes menstrual blood. That's right. Yeah,
3: you you can keep it up to twelve hours. Please don't <laughs> keep it beyond that. Yeah. Um. But the thing
0: is, and I don't understand this. It's brown. I'm not saying that everything in the world has to be pink glitter unicorn print. Although, how amazing would a pink glitter unicorn print menstrual cup be?
3: Elisa Frank seriously licenses. Her products on so much stuff. She should really get in the menstrual cup business. She's just should, saying. She
0: should consider it. But yeah, like, why brown? I had a moment when I was reading the sources and, uh, for, for this episode and I came across that little tidbit of information. Yeah.
3: Credit where credit is due. Uh, Bijali Shaw wrote a first person review of the soft cup <laughs> and in it she made me laugh out loud when she gives a condensed history of menstrual cuffs and saying, quote, the keeper is an unfortunate shade of mud brown. And it is. And I was telling my husband about this because I thought it was hilarious. And he so didn't get it because he was like, well, I mean, that makes sense because, you know, it's closer to flesh tones, So it's more uh- concealed. And I just said, <laughs>
0: you don't wear it on your face. <laughs>
3: And I told him, without even thinking, (laughs) these words came out of my feminist mouth, saying, "Women don't like brown," (laughs) which I—it was a very strange conversation to have.
0: It sounds like it, Um, but why? Like why? Why? I don't know why you'd make it brown. I
3: don't either. Well, maybe it's it's cheaper to do that. You probably don't have to add. Why why not make it it red? Oh, that'd be good. I know a lot of the the cups these days are various shades of pink and purple. But back to our history, the <laughs> keeper is kind of the go to in more uh, feminist circles, like old school feminist circles. They were all about the keeper. Um Lou Crawford is very proud of the fact that the storage bags that they would come in were also made by women. Since The Keeper is designed to last so long, you can keep it like five years, um, she broke it down to say that they cost only $4 a year, which is why some of her fellow feminist friends thought that they should have named it the Liberty Bell. Totally, man. Liberating your finances. But it didn't take off, partly because it's so associated at this point with a subculture more of like a vegan, super feminist, radical
0: subculture. I mean, I think it still has a a hint of that. Oh, yeah. Culturally, I mean, you know, menstrual cups are advertised. By and large, if I see an ad for a menstrual cup, it tends to be on like a specifically feminist website.
3: Yeah, I, I might have first been exposed to them via bitch and bust magazines. That's just what I
0: was thinking, too.
3: And speaking of those, though, like, those types of magazines and also the internet in general, like so many, <laughs> the, the internet, capital I internet, uh, really helped bring the menstrual cup into the mainstream as it is more so today,
0: starting with the launch of that menstrual cup live journal in 2002. Dude, you sent me that link and I was like, Oh, live journal. What a relic of a bygone era. And I clicked on it and people had just posted like that day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's still going strong. Yeah, man.
3: People, that's the thing, too. People who love menstrual cups love menstrual cups. And, of course, in 2002, you'd need to find other people who were using them to figure out, you know, what to do, best practices, where to buy them. Mm -hmm. And two years later, like we mentioned earlier, there was a trend piece on it in The New York Times, and they reported that they're hardly the rage but, quote, use of them is growing, especially at women's colleges and through alternative health websites. Those women <laughs> at their colleges. Although essentially feminists really like them. Um, and in that New York Times report, they said that uh, the keeper estimates around 100,000 women used them. And at that time, fledgling Glad Rags uh, reported that around 2,400 people were using their reusable products.
0: So a general movement away from buying tampons and pads at the grocery store, mass right. market things, not, I mean, not a majority of women by any stretch, but a, a gradual shift in, in the way of thinking. Well, and
3: it's just clear that some of us want an alternative, just like the third political party. Hello. Imagine that. <laughs> and when we come right back, we're going to look at the menstrual cup landscape today and talk more about why those menstrual cup evangelists sing their praises so loudly and also get more into why it's taken so long for menstrual cup awareness to be raised.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please. So one of the benefits of using menstrual cups that a lot of its fans tout is the whole issue of cost savings. And of course, though, this would depend on your flow, right? I mean, if you typically have a light period versus a heavy one, you might not get as much of the cost savings from opting for a menstrual cup over tampons or pads. And there was a Canadian survey that found that women used a median thirteen menstrual products per cycle, which equates to one hundred and sixty nine products per year, which corresponds to more than seven hundred and seventy one million products used annually in Canada. So that's going to go
3: to the the environmental footprint for sure, because you're using a ton, we're we're throwing away a ton of pads and tampons every year. But in terms of the cost. The, according to this Canadian survey, which is cited a lot in menstrual cup literature, the estimated cost for tampon use of their participants was $37.44 per year, which they noted is similar to the retail cost of one menstrual cup. And they concluded that the cost savings is moderate rather than as dramatic as it's usually framed. But again, things are just going to depend on how many disposable products you would otherwise use. So for people with heavy flows, you could save a lot of money. Um, And just to toss out some numbers, if you go to Target, uh, a Diva Cup costs 30 bucks. You can also, at Target, get a Lily Cup, that Kickstarter product that is now on shelves, for 40 bucks. And, uh, Target doesn't sell the disposable soft cups, but at CVS, you can get a 24 count of those for 1350. And at 1350, of course, costs a lot more, about twice as much as a box of tampons, but those soft cups can be left in for much longer than tampons. Tampons can stay in up to eight hours, whereas soft cups can stay in 12 hours and you can also sleep with them in, and have sex with them in if you want so the potential for cost savings is absolutely there how much money you will actually pocket will simply depend on your cycle
0: and whether it fits into potentially a lifestyle where you're already doing things like trying to recycle trying to reduce your environmental footprint et etc cetera, etc cetera. and once
3: people try them they do seem to like them uh That Canadian survey that we just mentioned is so often cited because it found that 91% of the women who tried menstrual cups said they would use them on a regular basis and recommend them to a friend. And uh, while they were initially associated with more vaginal discomfort, because like the first few times you try to put in a tampon, it can, you know, you have to get the hang of it. But once people did, they're like, oh, yeah, so it's no big deal. I love them. And in industry speak, that's called a high pickup rate. Or essentially, you know, you try something out and you're like, Oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try this again. It's like, you know, when you go to Costco and you get one of those samples, you're like, I'm going to go buy 82 of those
0: dips. I love to picture like Betty, the sample giver at Costco, like handing me one of those tiny cups with a menstrual cup in it. There you go, sweetie. It's just, a, it's just a little one. <laughs> if you if you like, and we got a whole box back here, five hundred enough for really. like Betty. I'm not gonna
3: live that long 20 lifetimes, lifetime. <laughs> but going back to the internet influence, companies like Diva Cup have talked about how helpful social media and uh, online videos have been because our period buying choices similar to birth control are very word of mouth. These are things that we are going to be likelier to buy if we hear about it from a friend.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of it's it's definitely not the same thing, but it kind of reminds me of our episode on um, pee funnels. <laughs> totally <laughs> like the P mate, things like that, where there's a massive squick factor, too, for a lot of people about like, oh, putting. Like a funnel against my body. Where's the, is the urine going to go everywhere? But the people who use them, the people, the people who use pee mates and pee funnels and things like that, uh, are totally evangelists for them, especially when it comes to, you know, anything from camping to working in fields to, you know, being in the military, uh, how important they are to safety. Uh, not getting a, a bladder infection. And it's kind of the same idea for a lot of of women in similar positions uh, who talk about um, menstrual cups.
3: Yeah, uh, you can buy them at REI for that very reason. They are very camping and outdoors friendly. Uh, Emily Grassley, who hosts The Brain Scoop on YouTube, who is a super cool STEM woman, made a video not long ago about how Menstrual cups are often the preferred period product for scientists who work out in the field, menstruating scientists out in the field. Um, and way back in the day, in fact, when all of these first commercial period products were launching, companies would hire what they called lady agents to go door to door to basically say, hey, girl. You know, just speaking woman to woman, <laughs> uterus to uterus. Did
0: she open her trench coat and have like a whole bunch of menstrual cups inside? Yes, although
3: I do hope it was just a fashion cape instead of a trench. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, or she like unlocks her big briefcase Ooh. full of menstrual cups.
3: But again, these have been around so long, we've had lady agents trying to sell them to us. And yet. It's taken so long for them to take off. So what's going on?
0: Well, for one, I mean, yeah, the overarching theme is kind of the squick factor that a lot of people have with their periods and their bodies. And the fact that we just tend to stick with what we know. I mean, when I first got my period, my mother handed me a box of tampons and a box of pads, you know, like, go forth, read the instructions in the tampon box. That was a awesome. That was a difficult day. Um And the fact that, like, culturally, like we were saying, they've been so associated with some sort of, like, radical feminist hippie underground almost.
3: Yeah, for a long time, I think people just thought that only weirdos use them. Like, oh, menstrual cup. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that the fact that menstrual is in the name might be part of the branding issue. Because... The whole feminine hygiene market has been centered around inventing an entire new language Mm -hmm. where we don't have to say menstruation or menses or blood. So
0: maybe they could rename it and there could be some alliteration. Well, that's why you have like the diva cup or the Uh, Luna cup. C word cup. The C-word <laughs> <laughs> <The CNC> cup.
3: The C-and-C cup. I know, we need to get on that. We really do want to get into stuff Mom Never Told You branded. Uh, P-funnels and menstrual cups, if anyone knows how we can do that. We're not even kidding.
0: <laughs> and then, you know, going back to the constant theme of this episode and something that Kristen hit on earlier is the the fear and sort of stigma that's around putting our fingers on our vulvas, or in our vaginas when it's not something sexual, when it is just to be in touch with our bodies and our health and that kind of stuff. Um, Elizabeth Moore, who's the general manager of The Keeper, Inc., uh told Time Magazine in 2014, you can tell a woman about it and her first reaction is going to be, gross, or oh God, no way. It had to come through the midwives and doulas and vegans. Yeah, people who are, are just
3: more attuned to and and less freaked out by our
0: vaginas. And yeah, and just our bodies and our general body processes.
3: And there's similar rhetoric around tampons sometimes, especially among more conservative circles who are not kosher with the idea of something being penetrated into inserted into a girl's vagina that could possibly maybe de-virginize her, you know, I mean, we just, we just have so, so much stigma around all of it, around periods, around vaginal contact, the concept of virginity, (laughs) the whole, the whole shebang. Um, But for companies like Procter and Gamble, and also for companies like, say, a CVS, uh, these big drugstores and grocery store chains, menstrual cups have been a hard sell because they save Too much money. So uh they lack a quote future return opportunity. So especially for something like a reusable Diva Cup, where you're not gonna have to come back every month to buy some. Drugstores and grocery stores have been reluctant to stock them because it's like, why they're not gonna want to come back to my store.
0: Well, but that's ridiculous because everybody has to go to the drugstore and the grocery store. And also, just personally, this is nothing but anecdotal. I kind of look at CVS as a toy store. I love to walk up and down the makeup and, uh, skincare aisles for a long time. Well, it sounds like you should be a lady agent. For I should, menstrual cup. With my fashion cape
3: fully stocked of menstrual cups. And it also makes sense why companies, the bigger companies that produce, you know, mainstream tampons, pads, and panty liners have not shifted focus or expanded their lines to menstrual cups. Because it is an incentive for them to make these products as disposable as possible. I mean, there's even, um, you know, some skepticism over uh, brands that will donate their menstrual products to developing countries because people say, oh, well, yeah, this might be really great for girls who definitely need these some kind of menstrual product. But it's also great for your company because you're going in and establishing a brand relationship and like that habitual use. So we talked mm-hmm. about what you learn with first you often stick with. So there's a lot of capitalism tied up in this too, which is part of why I think there is uh, a feminist appeal to it, where it's like, no, this is something where we don't need to necessarily rely as much on a corporate product.
0: Shaking off the man. That's right. Get out of my ute. (laughs) And a lot of people tout the safety of menstrual cups over tampons. And that's because, of course, since the 1980s, tampons have been associated with the risk of toxic shock syndrome um, because of the danger that's inherent in using super hyper massively absorbent tampons and then leaving them in for long stretches of time. Um, But there's really no indication for sure establishing any sort of like massive uh, safety benefit to menstrual cups over tampons today.
3: Yeah. I mean, while there's been extensive testing on whether uh, the products promote bacteria growth, like the silicone they're made of, um, and there's no evidence that they do that. So they're safe from a bacterial sense. But in 2015, the first confirmed case of menstrual cup-related toxic shock happened and the way this went down was the woman, uh, accidentally, you know, cut herself because our vaginal canals are sensitive skin. She cut herself while inserting a diva cup and analysis determined that the high volume of blood collection, which is a benefit of a menstrual cup, plus though that mucosal irritation promoted the toxic shock related bacterial growth. Although it is also good to note that our periods and the products we use to manage them are not the culprits of toxic shock all the time. Men can get toxic shock. Kids can get toxic shock. Um, women have gotten toxic shock even after they stopped using uh, tampons. So this one case does not necessarily mean throw out all of your menstrual cups, of course. And going back to Jen Gunter, Dr. Jen Gunter, our feminist OBGYN fave, uh, she analyzed this case study and concluded that we really can't say for certain whether menstrual cups are safer than tampons. And she has very straightforward recommendations of what to do with that information. Yeah, just choose what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she says, quote, always choose the lowest absorbency possible. Although she says, I know that some people are rolling their eyes because some people just have a really heavy flow. Also, wash your hands before putting in a menstrual cup or tampon. It sounds like also clip your fingernails. Make sure you don't have any jagged nails going on. Don't leave them in for more than the 12 hours. And try to avoid tampons or a cup if you are just spotting, as very low flow increases the trauma with insertion. So for this reason, menstrual cups don't have to be for everyone, but they are a viable alternative for a lot of people and to me the, the biggest hope i have for all of the publicity that menstrual cups have been receiving is that maybe this is also pointing us in the direction uh, away from vaginaphobia
0: i'm going to sound like an old person real real fast but i have a lot of hope and optimism around our younger generations
3: oh absolutely i didn't think about the period pride 2015 exactly. was the year that periods in the U.S.
0: at least really went mainstream. Yeah. And I mean, just you see it in like free the nipple campaigns. You see it in all sorts of uh, social media based uh, pushes. Um I just think a lot of young people today are leading the way in terms of just general body positivity, um, whether it's around weight and body shape, whether it's around periods and menstruation or just nudity, whatever. Um, I think there are a lot of of cool people on the Internet um, pushing body positivity. And I think this is a part of that. And I think a lot of young people want to be educated about other options. Um, I think that there's a general questioning going on about like, why do we have to do things the way that they've always been done? That's, that's how I feel anyway, observing conversations online.
3: Oh, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. Um, people also feel though that the kind of the final worry with menstrual cups, which is a practical concern. And it is something that happened to me, in fact, is, what if your cup runneth over? <laughs> you know, it's it's. I've, I've talked to women before who are totally fine with the concept of putting it in, but it's more the worry of what happens when I take it out. <laughs> and I did have a situation once at work where I had to manage a a little spill in the office bathroom, and it was very awkward. And I think that that stuff will just sometimes happen, but. If you use a tampon or pad, there's still potential for mess to get places where you don't want it to be. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of, what's the old saying? Half of one, half dozen of the other. Six six of
0: one, half dozen of the
3: other. (laughs) That's that's it. (laughs) So now, listeners, give us your menstrual cup stories. We want to know. Your thoughts, your feelings, your flows. <laughs> we've talked a lot about, about our flows. <laughs> so now it's time to share. And also, fellows listening, uh, I'm really curious to know what you think about this as well, partly because one of the comments on the Racked article that we've been citing a bunch came from a guy who was mystified at, this idea that periods have been stigmatized and he, to his credit said, listen, I'm, I mean, I'm talking as a person with, you know, this person with penis and guy, I, I don't, I, I can't personally experience this. Um, but he was like, I had no idea. This was such a big deal. Um, so I, I just want to know what, what the word is out there on menstrual cups, mom stuff at how Dot com is where you can send them, you can also tweet us at Mom Stuff Podcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position.
3: so i have a letter here from Lacey about our episode on uh, heroin she writes i especially liked the discussion on the racism at play and the way we view addiction in your episode on women and heroin and the point you made about treating addiction as opposed to punishing it is so necessary i do have one qualm with the episode in that it glossed over the reasons people become addicted to heroin maintaining at its center the trauma background of many heroin users as well as doctors who overprescribe opiates. Of course those things are valid, but I want to share the unique perspective of many people with chronic pain, myself included. I believe one unexpected side effect of cracking down on opiates has been an increase in heroin addictions for people who have chronic pain. There's a significant portion of the society who suffer from chronic pain for which we do not yet have adequate treatment opiates are no longer recommended for most chronic pain because of the lack of long-term effectiveness and their risk for addiction but this leaves chronic pain patients to fend for themselves in finding behavioral strategies and medications that soothe the pain we are told to meditate we are told to try not to think about it we are given other medications to try that don't work out of the desperate need for pain relief some of us will turn to heroin Yes, we need to treat people who are addicted in ways that are humane, but we also need to continue to look for more effective ways to treat chronic pain. Lacey, thank you so much for sharing this and raising a very important point. And Women in Chronic Pain is an episode that we have not done yet, but has been requested and we absolutely need to take a closer look at. So thanks so much.
0: So I have a letter here from Rachel. Um, She is a family doctor just finishing her first year in practice in Wisconsin. And so she had a lot of feedback for us. Uh, in regards to our heroin episode and the opioid epidemic. So she said there are a couple of points your episode brought up. Uh, first, there are definitely bad egg pill mill docs out there, but I can just say that it is so difficult to navigate the dynamics of figuring out who is a good candidate for controlled substances like pain medications. It feels like playing with fire whenever you prescribe them because they are so addictive and have so many risks. And you want your patient to be healthy. But there is such stigma around addiction, mental health, and trauma that patients can get really offended and upset when you try to have a discussion about those risks. If I could give one message to the world, it would be, please, please, please be open to all of the suggestions your provider may have about other ways to manage your pain. There are so many more effective and less risky ways to manage pain than opioids. Second, I wanted to provide a little more info and clarification on the treatment options you outlined. Methadone and buprenorphine are both considered opioid substitution therapies. They do stimulate the same receptors in your brain as heroin or pain pills, though in a more reliable and regulated way than street drugs, and notably without the possibility of the diseases that come with intravenous drug use. Both are abuse-resistant and not abuse-proof. It's still possible to abuse both of those drugs, though it's more difficult with buprenorphine than methadone. However, there's an important contrast between them, especially in rural areas. Methadone can only be prescribed for addiction in the context of a specialized methadone treatment center. In my area, the nearest one is more than an hour away and has a several months-long waiting list. If one of my patients was fortunate enough to find a spot, they will still have an hour drive each way, each time they go to the clinic, which is initially every day this really isn't feasible for most people living in rural areas. Buprenorphine, however, can be prescribed by any physician who completes an online training program. The beauty of this is that you can be your regular doctor who takes care of the medical treatment of your addiction, just like any other chronic disease you may have. In my area currently, the nearest provider for this is also an hour away, though I have plans to change that in the next year or so by completing the training myself. I know you mentioned naltrexone as well. That's the medicine that blocks the opioid receptors rather than stimulates them. It's available as a pill by itself, as a pill in combination with buprenorphine, and maybe most excitingly, as a -a once-a-month shot. It works quite well in that even if you relapse and try to get high, it will take thousands of dollars of heroin to overcome the medicine. So once you get the injection, your brain essentially has a whole guaranteed month to start healing from your addiction. The bummer is that the shot is poorly covered by most commercial insurances. If you or your listeners are wanting to do something about the opioid epidemic... Let me encourage you to contact your legislators as well as your insurance companies to advocate for better coverage for addiction treatment and especially the naltrexone shot. Wow. Well, Rachel, thank you for your, um, physician perspective. And I'm so glad that you are getting that special training. So thank you for writing in.
3: And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources so you can learn even more about menstrual cups. Head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com.